The message is entitled, Complete in Christ. Complete in Christ. And let me read verses 8 to 15 as we get into this passage. The Bible says in verse 8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We actually studied these passages a couple of weeks ago. Verse 10 is really the new material that we're going to get to today. Verse 10 says this, And ye are complete in him, in Christ, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead, and you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. And by the way, if you like to write in your Bible, that's a great verse to underline, that Christ has forgiven us of all trespasses. That's worthy of an amen right there. Listen, that's worthy of singing right there. Look at verse 14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in them. We're going to look at a powerful passage today, so let's pray as we get started, and uh, I'm so glad, really, to see you today. Father, we love you. I thank you for uh, just a full room. I thank you for our families that are here. I thank you for our kids. Uh, that are here with us today. I also thank you for our church family that's at home live streaming, uh, Lord, and thank you for those that, that maybe aren't part of community fellowship, but they are part of the body of Christ, and they've tuned in today to, to learn. Uh, Lord, I pray you bless them and, and give us what we stand in need of today from your word. Uh, we need you, and, and we, we don't want to do church without you today just because we're in the building. We, we need you uh, to show up and do something great in our life, and so we love you, and we give the time to you. Bless us as we study now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So this morning we got three main points, and, and you got some, some notes you can follow along with, and they'll be on the screen and on the slides. Point number one is this In Christ, in Christ, I can have complete understanding of all things. And listen, that ought to give us some comfort in these days when we when we really don't seem like we can understand anything, right? The media changes every day. Uh, what the world says about what's happening changes every day. The, the narrative changes every day. There's so much uncertainty in the world, and yet we can have complete understanding of all things in Christ. Now, now the, the point, we have to look at verses 8 through 10 again. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. The context of, of this statement of being complete in Christ, verse 10, comes on the heels of of verses 8 and 9, about being deceived, about being spoiled through philosophy and deceit and tradition of men and the rudiments of the world. Those things are not after Christ. And then there's that, that wallop of a statement in verse 10, ye are complete in him. Now, we could wrestle that verse out of context and talk about how we're incomplete without Christ and, and all those things are true. But the point is, concerning philosophy and concerning vain deceit and con concerning tradition, how that those things can spoil us. Does that make sense? I mean, those are things 
that are not after Christ. They're actually against Christ. They can steal our reward at the judgment seat of Christ. And so the Bible wants us to understand that we are complete in him. Verse 10, and ye are complete in him. If you're a student of the Bible this afternoon, it it would do you well to go home and take this passage and go through and underline the word ye all the way through the passage. The word ye in the, in the King James Bible is really important because it's, it's, it's second person plural. In other words, when Paul is writing this, he's talking to a group of people, not a single individual. So the verse doesn't read, you individually are complete in him. It reads, ye are complete in him collectively as a group, as a body of believers. And that's so important. And, and so he's talking to these Colossian believers, and he's really trying to help them understand you have complete wisdom and knowledge in Jesus Christ. If you have your Bible open, if you go back to Colossians 2 and verse 3, the Bible says, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Christ. And so the key point is, in Christ, I can have complete wisdom and knowledge in him. You don't need philosophy. You don't need tradition. You don't need vain deceit. You don't need the rudiments, the elementary knowledge of this world because Christ is in you and Christ is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You can have complete understanding in times of uncertainty. You can be certain. You can absolutely, as a child of God, have all the wisdom and all the knowledge that God wants you to have. You can turn CNN and Fox News off and turn your Bible on and understand and navigate through life when it seems crazy. God gives us complete understanding through him. Even Colossians 2 and verse 17 reminds us that Christ is in us the hope of glory. And so listen, the context of us being complete in Christ is that we have complete understanding, complete wisdom, complete knowledge of the things of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is going to show up on the screen, and this is a lengthy passage. But 1 Corinthians 2 teaches us that there's a difference between God's wisdom and man's wisdom. There's a difference between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. And you want the wisdom of God. Amen? You need the wisdom of God. You can actually have completely all of it if you'll just get in that book and dig it out and study it. And listen, show yourself approved unto God. You don't have to be incomplete in your understanding of what's happening in this world. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, and, and this is really a struggle for me because I have my home church in front of me and I'm not just preaching to a camera. And so Walt's already told me I can't go, but so far. <laughs> I've got I've to like mark my, my end caps where I can't run. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, the, so the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2, And I, brethren, Paul says, When I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. Okay, so so Paul would have been painful to listen to from a fleshly perspective. It, It wasn't full of, you know, 
enticing words of man's wisdom. He says, but my preaching was in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You see the difference. There's a difference between the wisdom of men and the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Listen, even the hidden wisdom. God has given us understanding of his wisdom through his word and through his Holy Spirit, but is hidden to the world, to the lost world, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would, have cruci- they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen nor hear, ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And let me just stop at verse 9 for a second. Many of us have heard verse 9. Man, I, I has not seen what God has prepared, prepared for us. You can, only, you, know, you can only imagine what God has prepared for us and, and what God's plans are for us. You can't know, right? We've heard it preached like that, but we've never read verse 10. <laughs> no, God actually wants you to know and have complete understanding of some things. He says in verse 10, but... God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. The them is the things that God has prepared for us. He's revealed them to us by his spirit. The spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. And I just want to encourage the church. You can have as much understanding of God and his word as you want to have. You have Christ in you. You have the spirit of Christ in you. You have the inscripturated word of God in front of you. You can know everything that there is to know concerning God's hidden wisdom, but it comes at a cost. You have to study. You have to compare spiritual things with spiritual things. Verse 11 says, For what knoweth the uh, the things of a man, save the spirit of man in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. That we might know, K-N-O-W, we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. You can have complete understanding of the things of God. And if we are ignorant of God's truths, that's not on God. That's on us. We, We have access to His truth, the hidden wisdom, the things of God. Listen, Listen, more people in our culture, more Christians in the 21st century know more about COVID-19 than they know about the Bible. And they can rattle off statistics. They they know more about college football than they know about the Bible. They know more about the economy and it crashing than they know about the Bible. And yet God's complete wisdom and complete understanding is available to us. And we are complete in Him if if you'll receive that. And if you want that. And so the first, the first point is that in Christ, we, we can have complete wisdom and understanding and knowledge. We, we can know everything that God has given to us. And why would you not want to know that? Why would you not want to just come back to the Bible and say, God, what do you say about this? Fill in the blank. What do you say about COVID-19? God, what do you say about the world and what's happening? God, what do you say about the church in these last days? Well, that's available to us. 
The second point I want to I want to just address out of that text, verses eight to ten, is that Christ is the head of all principality and power. And Cody prayed this, and I don't know if he read the notes ahead of time or what, but but Christ is the head of all principality and power. And as we study that term, principality and power through Scripture, you know that word principality is rooted in a word called prince, like like a ruler, a a, a dominion, a a throne, prince, power. And as, as we study Scripture we see that those two, those two words are used collectively together. Let me give you a couple examples. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. The Bible says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether there be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. So when we start talking about principalities and powers, what are we talking about? It has something to do with thrones and dominions and rulership. And, 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 and whatever these things are, they were created by Christ. He is the creator of all those things. Thrones, dominions, principalities, powers. All things were created by him and for him. As, as we look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 20 to 23, again, we see these words used together, principalities and powers which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above, listen, all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head of all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Here's what we need to understand. Christ Whatever these principalities and powers are, they're created. Secondly, Christ is above all of these principalities and powers. And as we study this in detail, and we don't have time this morning, but what you find is that these principalities and powers, they have to do with the devil, Lucifer, Satan. They have to do with his, his dominion and his power in this world. It has to do with his fallen angels. It has to do with his devils and how they are against Christ and against Christ's rule. And and I want you to understand that Christ is the head of all principality and power. Listen, the devil is the little G God of this world, but Christ is still above him. Listen, he has free reign. He's doing what he wants to do and he's ruining humanity and all those different things. But I'm telling you, Christ is even above him. Christ is so far above principality and power that these November elections will have no effect on the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you, can, you, can you hear me? I mean, listen, I'm thankful for whoever you vote for. I'm thankful for the freedom that we have to do that. But, but whatever happens in November will have no bearing on the Lord Jesus Christ and his throne because he is far above principality and powers. He's far above it. And, and listen, we can have complete understanding biblically of what is happening in these days. You don't need complete understanding politically. You don't need complete understanding socially or medically. You need complete understanding biblically to navigate life. Can I just tell you that whatever makes sense medically at the end of the Bible ain't going to make sense. In Revelation 22, do you know how the nations are going to be healed? They're going to eat from, 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 a tree that, that gives healing through the fruit and the leaves of that tree. 
You say, well, that's medically impossible. It is not, maybe it's medically impossible. It's not biblically impossible. That's how God is going to heal the nations. So we have to have a biblical mindset. Ephesians 3 and verse 10, the Bible says that, that these principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God. So, so again, these, these principalities, these powers, they're in heavenly places. If you're a student of the Bible, you know that the first heaven is our atmosphere. You know that the second heaven is outer space. You know that the third heaven is where the throne of God dwells. And these principalities and powers are in heavenly places. And Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness, wickedness where? In high places. And so listen, there are principalities that are in heavenly places and powers in heavenly places. There are principalities and powers of this world. And the Bible says that we wrestle against them. So are you winning that match or losing it? God wants you to to be victorious. Christ is the head of all principality and power. You know, the devil and his angels, they can't exegete scripture. They can't compare compare spiritual things with spiritual things because they don't have the spirit of God in them. But that doesn't stop them from writing Christian books. That doesn't stop them from having a podcast. It doesn't stop them from having a YouTube channel. But I'm telling you, if you, if you understand that you're complete in Christ and that you can have all wisdom and understanding and you understand that he is the head of all principality and power, well, then you don't get deceived. You don't get deceived. You can have complete knowledge and understanding in him. And if you want, man, listen, it's available. It's just available. You got to get in the book and you got to get, get access to it. Number two, let's go back to Colossians chapter two. Uh, I was joking that we may have a four hour church service today since you are all here. I don't, I don't know if our live stream crowd will hang on that long. Point number two, in Christ, the second truth we want to get out of Colossians chapter two is this, in Christ, I have been completely cut away from the body of my sins. And, and look, look back at verse 11 and 12, and this is worth the price of admission today if you don't get anything else. The Bible says, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands and the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. This is a crazy portion of scripture. Some of the parents are already looking at me with crooked eyes because what in the world are you teaching this for today? So we're going to take the high road this morning. And let me just explain that before you and I got saved... If there's, any, if there's any saved folks in the house, say amen. amen. Okay. Before you got saved, the Bible teaches that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, spiritually speaking. And, and let me give you the verse, Colossians 2 and verse 13. The Bible says, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, verse, chapter, Ephesians 2, verse 1, and you hath he quickened, that means made alive, 
who were dead in trespasses and sin. Okay, so here's the, here's the point. Before we got saved, spiritually we were dead. But you are, you are a triune being. You have three parts. You have a body, a soul, and a spirit. And so your eternal soul, the part of you that lives forever, was connected to your physical body, your flesh, and your spirit as a lost person, is dead. You're spiritually dead as, as in our sin. And, and so listen, when, when, when we receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, God performs an elective surgery. Actually, he performs an elective operation. And what he does is he cuts our soul away from the body of our flesh. He severs it. He takes the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and He cuts us away from our sinful flesh. There was an operation that took place, and God called that a circumcision, a cutting away of your flesh from your soul. And then He made your spirit alive through the Holy Spirit of God in you. Man, that is what happened at the moment of... There's so many things that happen at salvation, but this is one of the most awesome things that happens, that, that God's Word actually cut us away from our sinful flesh. And so let me give you the three points. Number one, look, salvation is three things. Number one, it's a death. Salvation is a death. In other words, it's a, a circumcision made without hands. It's a cutting off and a cutting away of the flesh, of something that's living so that it dies. You know, the Bible teaches us that Christ himself, and again, I'm not going to go back to the Old Testament, so take a deep breath, parents. We're good. We're not going to go there. But I will say this, that Christ himself, the Bible says, was cut off from the living for our sin. He, He was cut off. He was severed. He was crucified. He died. Salvation is a death. Isaiah 53 and verse 8 says this, he, Jesus Christ, was taken from prison and from judgment and who shall declare his generations? For he was cut off out of the land of the living of the transgressions of my people. He was stricken. And so listen, Christ himself was cut off. He died. And and in salvation, man, there is a operation that's made without hands, where God cuts away our soul from the body of our sins of the flesh. He does that through the Word of God, by the way. You say, how could he perform that surgery? Well, he has a sword, and that sword is, is so sharp. It's sharper than any surgical instrument that we have on this planet, I mean, listen, the Lord, for the last 2,000 years, has been performing surgery on anyone that would come to him as Lord and Savior. And he's done it in such a fashion, with such a sharp, precise instrument, that even medical technology today can't compare. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says this. Look, it says the Bible, the Word of God, it says, for the Word of God is quick. That means it's alive, and it's powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Here's what it can do. Piercing even to the dividing asunder, listen, of soul and spirit, comma, and of the joints 
and marrow. So you have all three parts in that verse, the soul and the spirit, and God cuts those away from the joints and the marrow. And even that word of God can discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. That book is alive. It is able to separate you from the body of sins that held you in captivity. And it's able to save you through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Listen, when you got saved and you received the gospel of Jesus Christ, God performed a miraculous operation on you. And he cut you away from that body of the sins of the flesh. You say, Jay, why do I still struggle with sin? Because you're still in that body. But you're not connected to it any longer. Do you realize that to lose your salvation, somehow you would have to join your soul and spirit back to the body of the sins of your flesh? Somehow, somehow you would have to undo the operation of God. How foolish is that? You can't undo what God has done. You can't undo it. You couldn't do it in your flesh to perform that operation. Christ had to perform it. And you can't undo what he's done. The Bible says in Romans 8 and verse 10, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. And the spirit is life because of righteousness. And so listen, at salvation there is a death. Because God cuts us away. There's a circumcision that takes place. And this old flesh, this old man, this body of sins in God's economy is dead. So I'm going to make this statement. Don't don't be offended. Don't put too much stock in the beating heart. Because God has separated you from the body of this sin, the body of, of the sins of the flesh. Don't put too much stock in the beating heart. Because this thing in God's economy is already dead. It doesn't profit us anything. Our flesh doesn't profit us anything. And so, and so number one, salvation is a death. Number two, salvation is a burial. It's a burial because the verse 12 says that we're buried with him in baptism. So we're, we're circumcised. There's an operation where we're cut away without hands. And then the Bible says that we're buried with him in baptism. And most of you, when you read that verse, you say, well, that's water baptism, right? No. Baptism can be water baptism, but but the word baptism just means to be immersed into. Immersed into. And listen, when you study the Bible, there is more than one type of baptism. As a matter of fact, there are seven. There are seven different types of baptism. And you, Christian, had better know which one applies to you. You better know it. So don't, don't read this text and assume, well, well, we're buried with him in water baptism. That's not what it's teaching. It's a spiritual baptism. By the way, it says that you're buried with him in baptism. This is a spiritual baptism that immerses you into Christ and his burial. You say, how does that happen? Well, it happens through the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13 says this, For by one body of water were baptized into one body. Is that what it says? It says, by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. It's the spirit of God that immerses us 
into Christ's burial. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that as many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his what? Into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. Romans 6 has nothing to do with water baptism. It has everything to do with the spiritual baptism that occurs at salvation. You were cut away, you died, and you were buried with Christ. You say, that happened 2,000 years ago. Yeah. Well, the Holy Spirit's eternal, so he's got that. (laughs) There's no time stamp on that. He's eternal. And we're buried into him, into Christ, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. And so, and so salvation is a, is a death. Salvation is a burial. And this is where you ought to shout right here. Salvation is a resurrection. Salvation is a resurrection. And, and Colossians 2 goes on and it says, Wherein also ye are risen with him. You're buried with him, but you're risen with him. Through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Aren't you thankful that Jesus Christ came out of that tomb? Do you understand, according to 1 Corinthians 15, that if Jesus Christ didn't resurrect, that the preaching of the gospel would be a mute point? If there is no resurrection, why are we here? I mean, why are we here? If there is no resurrection, why are we even here? And yet Christ rose, and because he rose, we are risen with him in Christ. And man, that's powerful powerful stuff. Ephesians 2 verses 5 and 6, the Bible says, even when we were dead in sins, he quickened us together with Christ. He made us alive by grace are you saved and hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3 and verse 1, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Man, listen, Aren't you thankful for that elective surgery? And listen, I'm not talking about elective in the Calvinistic sense. I'm talking about elective in the sense that you heard the gospel and you chose to by faith believe it. You chose by faith to believe it. God didn't perform an operation on you against your will. No, actually, you elected to say, Lord, I want you as my Lord and Savior. And God, man, God took his sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and he cut you away from your old body of the sins of the flesh. He circumcised you, an operation made without hands. And listen, he buried you with him in Christ 2,000 years ago, and he resurrected you spiritually to new life. Man, we kind of got the good end of the deal on that. We got the good end of the deal. And thank God that in Christ we've been cut away from the body of the sins of that flesh. And then thirdly, Man, let's wind it down here. Look, in Christ, I have been completely forgiven of all trespasses. Completely forgiven of all trespasses. Look back at verse 13. The Bible says, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, have he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, And took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. 
And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in them. Christ tells us that he has quickened us. He's made us alive with him. I mean, we're buried with him. We're risen with him. We're quickened together with him. And he's forgiven us all trespasses. And all means all, friends. It doesn't mean the elect. It means all. It means all. And so there's four, there's four transactions, if you will, in this passage that were made at the cross. There's, there's four things that happened that I think we can take from this. Number one, Christ blotted out the handwriting of ordinances against us. Well, you got to ask yourself, what, was, what is the handwriting of ordinances? Well, when, and what is to blot those out? What does that mean? Well, when you study the word blot, you're going to go back to Exodus 32 and verse 32 for their first mention. And this is a conversation between Moses and the Lord. And God's just, man, he's upset with Israel. They, they've backslidden against him. And, you know, he's wanting to wipe them out and just start over with Moses. And, and thank God Moses and God never got on the same page, you know, because it would have been bad. And, and so God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wipe them out. I'm going to start over with you. And, uh, and, 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 you know, Moses goes to bat for Israel. He says, yet now, if thou will forgive their sin... And if not, and he's pleading for God to just to forgive Israel. And he says, if you don't forgive them, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book, which thou has written. And I'm going to tell you what, Moses was a really good pastor. I'm going to tell you that. If you want a character study on how to be a good minister, you study the life of Moses. Because, because basically he just said, God, if you're not going to forgive these people, then don't forgive me either. Now, now most of us won't say that. We'll say, go get them, God. <laughs> well, you go get them and then start over with me, and that'll be awesome. That, that actually sounds really good to me. And, 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 you know, Moses in that instance is a lot like Christ, willing to, to forsake eternal life for the sake of others, you know? And, and, and so that phrase blot out really means to erase from, right? God has a book that he's writing, and Moses says, listen, if you're not going to forgive them, blot out me from your book. Okay, so what is that handwriting of ordinances that was against us? Well, in Exodus 24 and verse 12, we know earlier in Exodus that Moses went up to the mountain, and the Bible says in verse 12 that the Lord said to Moses, Come up unto me in the, into the mount, be there, and I will give thee tables of stone, a law and commandments which I have written, that thou mayest teach them. He's talking about the law. He's talking about the commandments. He's talking about the ordinances and, and, and all the Old Testament laws, the Ten Commandments and the ceremonial laws and, the, and all the different things. And, and God wrote those commandments in stone. And, and no offense, but it just revealed how sinful we really are. Nobody could keep those except one, the Son of God. And so the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2 and verse 15 that Christ took that handwriting of ordinances, the law, the commandments, all the things that were required to be right with God, 
In Ephesians 2 and verse 15, it says, Having abolished in the flesh the enmity, even the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of two or twain one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereof. Christ took the law of commandments and the ordinances that were contrary to us and against us. And on his cross, he blotted them out. Listen, thou shalt not steal. Don't raise your hand if you've ever stolen something, right? Thou shalt not blaspheme the Lord God's name. Don't raise your hand. Listen, there are so many things. If we went through the handwriting of ordinances that was contrary to us, we would have to say guilty, 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 guilty. I'm guilty of all of those. How about you? We're guilty. And yet on the cross of Calvary, God took that law and he blotted it out. The handwriting of ordinances that was contrary to us, he blotted it out. Number two, he took it, the Bible says, out of the way. He took it out of the way. So, so the law, the commandments, for you as a child of God, listen, they've been taken out of the way. They've been taken out of the way. You know, in Acts chapter 15, you may not remember this, but, but Gentiles, early on in the book of Acts, Gentiles, non-Jewish people, were starting to get saved and receive the gospel. And so the big question was, do Gentiles have to be circumcised? Do they have to follow Old Testament law? And so there was this council in Jerusalem of Paul and Peter and all these apostles and, and all the elders of the church and all these different things. And the question on the table was, should these Gentiles keep the law, the commandments? And ultimately, the conclusion was in Acts chapter 15, verse 10, Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. So God took those ordinances, the handwriting, the law, the commandments, he took it out of the way, and then number three, the Bible says he nailed it to his cross. And the reason why is because he's the only one that fulfilled all of it. He's the only one that could. He's God in the flesh. Galatians 3 and verse 13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree. Do you know who was not guilty of breaking any of that Old Testament law and commandment? Jesus Christ was not guilty. Do you know who was guilty? Me and you. <laughs> Every one of us, we were guilty. And listen, he became the curse of the law for us. He didn't deserve that. We deserve that. And that's what makes salvation so great and so wonderful. And it makes us understand that Christ is, is so loving in our life that he was willing to to, to become the curse of the law for us and to nail those ordinances to his cross and thank God for it. That's why you can't earn your salvation. That's why you can't be a good enough person. That's why you can't do good enough right. That's why you can't keep the law well enough. If you try to be religious and somehow attain a standard that only Christ, who is God in the flesh, could attain, friend, you'll fall short. Because as soon as you break one, you've broken them all. And it makes us guilty. 
And this is my favorite part of this passage. Look at the last part. The Bible says he spoiled principalities and powers. Now, we learned a couple of weeks ago that word spoil means to take some stuff. It, it doesn't mean spoil like the food you left in the refrigerator last week at work that has now spoiled when you open the fridge. No, the word biblically in the Bible, spoil means to steal from, to take their stuff. And, and so Christ, on his cross, did all of these things, and actually at the very end of this, he spoiled principalities and power. He took from them what they had and made it his, his own. And guess what the principalities and powers had? They had us in our sin. Man, the devil had us locked up in our sin and our trespasses. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. We were following the God of this world. We were following the course of this world. We were subject to the principality and powers of this world. And Jesus Christ, man, he pulled the biggest fast one you've ever seen, man. On that cross of Calvary, he defeated death, hell, the grave. He defeated the handwriting of ordinances. And oh, by the way, he spoiled the principalities and powers. He took back, he stole from them what they possessed, which, which was us. And the Bible says he made a show of them openly. You know what Jesus did on the cross? He made a fool out of the devil. You know what he did on the cross? He made a fool out of every fallen angel. He made a fool out of every one of the devil's devils. He made a fool out of every evil spirit. He made a fool out of every principality and every power. Christ on his cross triumphed them all. Openly, openly. And guys, listen, church, that is why we are complete in Him. That's why we're complete in Him. That's why we can have complete understanding from God's Word. That's why we can be thankful that we've been completely cut away from the body of the sins of our flesh. And we can walk out of here with the assurance that we've been completely forgiven. All because of of him. And I'm thankful for that. And I hope you are too. I hope you are too. Let's pray. And then we'll dismiss. Father, we love you this morning.